You're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Betty Joyce Nash about her new book, Everybody Here is Kin. Betty's writings have appeared in numerous journals as well as magazines. She has taught writing at the University of Richmond and several community writing centers. She currently teaches at Writer House, a nonprofit literary arts center in Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome to the show, Betty. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, before we turn to your new book, I noticed in your bio that you also taught writing uh, at the Charlottesville Regional Jail. Talk to me about that experience. Okay. Um, At the time, there was, uh, I started in the summer, I guess, of 2012. They wanted to start a 12-week sort of enrichment um, classes for the women inmates um, and for the men inmates, too, uh, probably, although I only taught the women, uh-huh. and it um, and it was creative writing, and uh, you know the rationale w- under the that current administration of the jail was that you know they needed something to do. They have those who are eligible are in GED classes during the school year, but there was nothing in the summer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what as a writer, uh, what did you get out of helping others write? What did you learn, if I, if you might? Well, you know, it just confirmed my um, already fairly cemented ideas that everybody has stories to tell. Yeah. And that especially if you're in a stressful circumstance, which uh, any kind of incarceration is stressful. Right. And um, that... You know, it just helps a lot to know that that you can tell a story, and especially in a class where people actually care what you've written, and um, you know, you get used to the idea. You know, it's hard at first for mm-hmm. the inmates; it's hard for them to actually um, express themselves. Yeah, cut yeah, loose yeah. a little bit and right. li- and let other people hear their writing. Right. And but on the other hand, you know. You could just see from the way they began to talk about the writing and the circumstances that provoked the writing, how much they had to um, to say. And in some cases, it was really useful. I know one woman told me, a young woman told me that um, her lawyer, she had a Commonwealth attorney, which is a state attorney, right. representing her, and he was supposed to be in court, but he wasn't. And she had actually written her own uh, defense had written her own um, to present know, to the uh, yeah to present to the court exactly uh-huh. she had written her story at what really happened and um, yeah it was it was really a useful thing for their confidence too yeah I got I must imagine uh, that it's therapeutic I've I've had an author on who put out a book of paintings by prisoners up in uh, Minnesota and I know she talked about um, the therapeutic nature of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the new book, Everybody Here is Kin. Now, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, the book arose out of a prior short story that you wrote. So when when you wrote the short story, did you already decide you were going to turn it into a novel, or is that something that evolved over time, that idea? Yeah, the idea for the I didn't have the confidence to write. Um, I thought... I was going to go, I had been a journalist for a long time, Mm -hmm. and I uh, thought, okay, I'm going to get my MFA, 
and made my short stories better, but I never dreamed of writing a novel. Hmm. But I uh, wrote this story with quite a number of characters. I had three children right. and um, and then this uh, misanthropic um, <laughs> veteran living alone right. on this island. And I'm very familiar with that ecology, the barrier island ecology, because I lived on a barrier island for okay. about five years okay. um, when I was in my 20s. And so, you know, there was just, it was just such rich material right. that eventually, um, after I graduated and eventually I thought, well, maybe I will try to write a novel. And believe me, there were many times when I thought, why did I want to do that? Because <laughs> it's, it's hard if you've never yeah. done it yeah. before. Yeah. And it's hard even if you've done it I before. Have. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, you get the short story done, you graduate. How long did it take you once you decided, okay, I'm going to turn this into a full-length novel? How long did it take you from that point to the time when you said, all right, I'm ready to submit it? Well, um, that it, I graduated in 2011, if uh-huh. you can believe that, and I published it in 2023. But, of course, I, I didn't start the novel in 2011. I probably started that about um, 20 – I think I really started that um, at 2013 in 2013 okay and and i got a very 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 scanty rough 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 draft of what some of the high points might be in the plot Uh and um for me you know writing uh fiction is a process of discovery i'm not one of these people who can sit down and just say okay here's plot point one, here's plot point two, here's right. plot point three, and then here's the climax, and then here's a resolution. Right. I just can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. So, so you, it took quite a while. So and you, I, I, I guess a couple of years ago, okay. I actually started sending it out. Okay. So you let it actually, you're one of those writers who starts and it, it evolves organically, as opposed to, I've had people tell me they outline every chapter before they write. That's not, that's not you. No. Yeah. Okay. I wish it were. Well, I, I think sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's certainly as good, if not better, to let it evolve organically. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about that when we talk about characters. All right, so the story starts off at a place called Boneyard Beach. And you may have just tipped your hand on, on my, the answer to this question, but I was curious uh, where this barrier island or what it might be modeled on uh, that you came up with. Well, you know, there actually is, and I haven't been there, but there actually is a Boneyard Island somewhere, I believe it's south of Savannah. And these are, this island is a fictitious island, but I did model them on the sea islands off the coast of Georgia. Right. And, um, and of course the bone, Boneyard are the, are the trees that fall and wash into the ocean and then wash back up on shore and they are all bleached and they really look like bones, um, giant bones sometimes. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, in looking, I always check to see if it's a real place when I'm reading books for authors and that. And I think there's actually a boneyard beach or a boneyard Island, excuse me, uh, somewhere off the coast of Florida. So I didn't know if it was modeled on that one. All right. Yeah. It, it probably, there probably are Similar. more than just those two. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In the book, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the characters that are in the book and ask you about them. There's a, a young a lady named Naomi, and she has several kids, and they are there at Boneyard Beach, but they are supposed to be headed to Florida to spread her ex-husband's ashes, um, who has passed away, obviously. What happened to the husband? 
he it was killed in the Iraq War. One of the threads running through uh-huh. the book are veterans. Will, the motel manager, is a veteran of the Iraq War. And at the time, I, um, you know, I was, well, I'm a daughter and granddaughter and niece of World War One and World War Two veterans uh-huh. and veterans issues have always interested me. And at the time, they were discovering that these, a lot of these veterans had had, um, in retrospect, because they finally had the imaging to prove it, um, yeah. that they were having these traumatic brain injuries, and it was really affecting their um, well-being. And so that was just on my mind a lot, along okay. with women's issues and okay. so forth. All right. So in the in the book, um, you have, besides Naomi, you have several other interesting characters, not at least to me, of which is the 13-year-old Lucille. So talk to me about Lucille and her backstory, because I found her okay. fascinating. I found her to be a great, a great character, and she really drew me into the story. Well, I'm glad to hear that. She is 13, but well, yeah. <laughs> she seems much, much older because she's the eldest in a family of three. Her her mother remarried and then subsequently divorced the second husband because the mother herself, you know, has has troubles um, in the first place mm-hmm. being a, a war widow. And uh, so she has two younger step siblings that she uh, pretty much has to take care of because her mother works um, often works the night shift. Um, they're from Detroit and they're vacationing down here. And they're supposed to go to the Keys so that Lucille can see the Florida Reef because she's very interested in climate change and she's terrified of it, really. And um, so she, in a sense, she projects her her fears of her of her own um, life. She worries about her mother. She worries about her step siblings. And and in a way, it's easier for her almost to take these fears and lay them onto the planet. <laughs> and uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Of, yeah, it does. I, yeah. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, so. uh, but anyway, she um, she, you know, seems much, much older and and she sort of fits a pattern of, you know, often it's um, the elder daughters uh, in um, especially in single parent families that end up with a lot of the responsibility of household household responsibility. So she seems much older than she is. Right. Well, early in the book, I, now this may have seemed like a minor point, but it certainly caught my attention for a reason that I'll ask about. Early in the book, Lucille meets a young man on the beach, and he has a towel with a Confederate flag on it. And Lucille is right. not, not too happy about that, okay? And she tries right. to explain that to him. So, you know, look, we live in a, a politically charged time, and I ask this question often, and Lucille also worries about climate change. As a writer, do you worry about putting anything in that somebody else might find politically sensitive, or you just say, hey, you know what, I'm developing a character, uh, and that's what it, why it's in there? Well, that's a, a really good question. It's a really perceptive question because I didn't think anything of it when I was writing it. Uh-huh. But then as I've gone out to market it just in the past, it came out September 24th. So just as I've gone out to market it and I'm choosing passages to read and so forth, yeah. I, I did find myself second guessing. i thinking, well, gosh, should I read this? Is this going to alienate somebody in the audience? Yeah. And um 
it was so it, it's funny, but but when I'm writing, you know, I tried real hard not to censor myself because Good. I feel like it's a writer's job to just write. And, and sometimes you're not sure what you're going to write about. It kind of bubbles up mm-hmm. from your subconscious. And that's another reason why it was so good for the women in the jail. And um, so I feel like, well, I don't want to take it back. I don't want to take it out because I, I grew up in South Carolina, which until very recently mm-hmm. had a Confederate flag flying above the state house. Right. And I see them in Virginia um, as I drive, uh, you know. Sure. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, for me, it's just part of her character development. But I always right. am curious about that. That leads me to another question that, that I, I think I'll know the answer to only because of, from various interviews. But with this book or any of your other writings, have you ever had the experience of someone telling you they got something out of the book that you had never even thought of? Well, I'm trying to think. I, I, I'm sure that has happened. Okay. I'm sure that's happened. Well, maybe that, that I just never really noticed. Okay, um, maybe it'll happen in the future. I, I know it's it's happened uh, to me. It's happened to other writers that I've talked to. All right, so back to the story, though. So Lucille's mother, Naomi, um, hmm, not sure what to think about Naomi. She leaves Lucille and her siblings to go off with a for, former boyfriend who she happens to run into, uh, setting, right. setting up the stage for uh, much of the story. What should we think about Naomi for doing this? What were you trying to convey to us? Well, you know, I, I, um, that was, that was a really tricky circumstance, Mm -hmm. circumstance because, um, I, I had to set it up just right because I didn't want people to, um, think too badly of her. I didn't want them to disengage or dismiss her as a character. So it was tricky. I had to set it up such that Lucille had already been accustomed to babysitting for the kids at home when the um, Naomi worked the overnight shift. Right. So there was that. And so um, then there's also the, uh, but uh, on the other hand, I wanted them to clearly see the kind of thing demonstrated in scenes of what Lucille has to put up with. Yeah. Right. And so she's, she's troubled. So I, yeah, it, it was a tricky thing to set up because I know readers, at first, I'm sure, were like, what? She can't do that, you know? Well, you know, I, look, I think it works the way you did it. Cause I would say my initial reaction was that, no, she can't do that. And then she, as I thought it and read more, she can, becomes a little bit more of a sympathetic figure. I mean, that's, at least that's how it struck me uh, and for the situation that she finds herself in, you know? So, right. all right, so in the book, you also have dual narratives, um, between different characters, like Lucille and a fellow named Will, who you mentioned briefly. Whenever there are dual narratives like that, I'm always curious how you know when to do it and when not to do it so as to not break the, the uh, flow of the book. That is a really good question because, uh, and, and yeah, uh, in fact, I, I once I have a little more distance from it, I, I'm going to have to reread it almost like a stranger and just see, well, how... You know, which which times were was I possibly disrupting the flow? But I, I in fact, somebody asked me one of the um, interviews that I had a couple of weeks ago. Um, my conversation partner wanted to know, because Lucille was such a strong character, why didn't I just tell the whole thing in her voice? Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, she 
she did come to me pretty quickly, but Will also did. I mean, I just felt like I wanted this. Um, I wanted this, these two strangers mm -hmm. to meet and these two un unlikely characters who were both in their own way. I, I describe it almost as a coming of age story for two people, a 13 year old and a 30 year old, mm -hmm. because they're both coming of age in different ways. You know, I, I didn't think that the flow broke at all, but I, I, I'm always curious about that. So let me ask one more question about that. Did you write the chapters separately and then kind of piece them together, or did you write it as a flow where you went from Lucille to Will to Lucille? Well, you know, I, um, I obviously I did write the chapters separately. Okay. Um, because because they're different. Well, they're. I had them originally both in the third person point of view. That is, mm -hmm. Lucille was a she, and um, and Will was a he. Right. And you'll notice that in the final version, Lucille turned into a first person narrator. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, and so in a way, she upstages Will because a first person narrator is you probably know from reading a lot of famous first person books like. I guess the most famous one, maybe Catcher in the Rye or something. They're very compelling because you're actually in that character's skin. Yeah. You know, when they're speaking, you're you're really there with them. And the third person gives the character a little bit more distance. And Will, of course, wants distance. He's hiding out from the world. He's AWOL from his own life. And so it was so appropriate to have Will in third person, but it really wasn't appropriate. And I went through, I don't know how many drafts. I, I stopped counting at some point, <laughs> but I went through multiple drafts of different narrators. Well, Will is a fascinating character to me. I've worked on a bunch of veterans issues, so I, I certainly, you know, that's the thing about good writing, and this is good writing. You, you have universal themes that people can identify with. And so with Will, I'll use the word alienated or alienation. That's the initial impression that I get. And that's a theme that I think a lot of people can identify with, and it works really well uh, in the book. All right. One other thing that struck me is, and maybe I'm overreading here, Lucille likes to run. And I'm wondering if you intended this as a metaphor of some type uh, for her young life, or am I reading too much for her life as it is? Or am I reading too much into that? You know, um, that's a, I'm not really sure why I made her a runner. It's just that the beach really invites with it mm -hmm. the space. It really invites that kind of cutting loose. And, of course, she lives in a city, a big city, the big city of Detroit most of the time. And so for her, she's never even seen the ocean. Right. And so to be able to run on the beach that first day was so liberating. And really, it's a tension tamer for her, I think. Well, I think that's true. I just saw it as being perfectly consistent with where she finds herself uh, and what's going to now happen with her mother leaving, et cetera. Uh, so maybe and I overread. Probably, Go ahead. I, it probably is a metaphor for her really wanting to run. She yeah, probably yeah. would really like to escape <laughs> her circumstances. Yeah. All right. The book also has some interesting facts about turtles and Georgia coastal wetlands. Did you have to do any research uh, for those things? You know, I um, am a, a journalist, and uh, I still do some journalism work when I can get it, uh -huh. and I just cannot do any kind of creative project without research just because it just 
I don't know. I just have to do it. So, yes, I interviewed, um, I, I read um, a turtle book by two of the you know best-known turtle experts there are out there, Carol Ruckteschel and um, Robert Shoup. Uh-huh. And then I also interviewed uh, an archaeologist at the University of Georgia, Dr. Victor Thompson. And he was kind enough to spend, oh, I don't know, 30, probably 30 or 45 minutes with me on the phone. And he works on those partic- that particular shell formation right. on Saplo Island in Georgia, which um, in a, in, is really the, the model for the or boneyard. Yeah. All right. Well, let me let me ask this. Authors will often tell me that if they create a good character, the character helps write the story. Was that true in everybody here is kin? And if so, was there one character that helped the most? Oh, that's that's interesting. Well, I tell you what characters do for me is they uh-huh. they sometimes won't do what I want, you know, what I want them to, or I'll try writing something or like maybe somebody in a writing group will say, well, why don't you, you know, do this or something and, and I'll try to do it, but they just won't have it. You mm-hmm. know, it just, you know, they just somehow are resistant. And um, so, yeah, in that sense, they, they, they talk to me for sure. And after, after you've been living with them for a while, especially, you know, you, you kind of know what they would do and what they wouldn't do. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One of the first interviews I did years ago, uh, I asked that question and the writer said, yeah, I have characters say to me, nope, I'm not going to do that. And it almost sounds psychotic when you say it that way, but that is the experience writers have, right? It is. It is. Especially, like I said, once you get deep into the, um, you know, into the weeds with them. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in this book, okay, and, and everybody here is kin. Tell me which one helped the most then and right. Lucille, Will, a little bit of both? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I would say it's both, but but I think Lucille really kind of she does, I think, sort of dominate the yeah, narrative. Yeah. I don't know if you have that impression or not, but just looking back on it and having had some distance now, I think um I think she does. Well, she's a, yeah, she's a major character, obviously, and 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 does you know propels the story forward. But I was just curious if one of them helped more than the other. All right, here's another question for you. So, when you write fiction, um, it's been my experience talking to folks on that. You have to put your characters in certain circumstances, maybe char- circumstances you yourself have never been in, and then you you through the character has to figure out how they get out of them or where they go through them. What do you learn about yourself in that process? And what did you learn about yourself in writing Everybody Here is Kin? Well, um, I, you know, I, I am an experienced short story writer, so I have experienced this before. But I have a lot of trouble allowing my characters to, um, to die mm-hmm. or to fail or <clears throat> to do something bad. Right. And um, I, I just have a lot of trouble with that, even though we all do it. We all make mistakes. And I just try to remember that um, that, you know, the mistake doesn't have to be, uh, you know, them going out and murdering somebody. <laughs> that um, I'm not a thriller writer, unfortunately. I kind of wish I were. But um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I learned that, you know, you have to have. 
that people are human and they're gonna they're gonna make dumb decisions like go out you know in storms and do crazy things okay all right well when you talk about your characters and you say living with them are you somebody that like has a notepad by the side of the bed or whatever that so when an idea hits you 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 know about a character you write it down or uh how does that work well, you know, I do actually have a notepad by my bed because I have been in that circumstance where I woke up with an idea and then if I didn't immediately <laughs> jot it down, I would forget it. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, that okay. does happen. Okay, all right. So uh, you have the notepad by the side of the bed and pieces of paper in your car so that while you're driving, <laughs> you can jot down something that strikes you? Or do you I, get that yeah. far? Did you go that far? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Because yeah. some, because I know from experience that it will. Because I, you know, I'll think, oh, I'll, I'll write that down later. But, but you won't. <laughs> All right. So let me end with this question because we're about to run out of time. I'm always curious. You know, you've been a journalist, so this you may have a slightly different view on this. But why do you write? Why do you write fiction in particular? What, what is it that compels you? to do it and what is it that you get out of it? Well, I, I became a journalist because I um, I had been a visual artist before. I was a potter ah. and I really, I loved making pots and I was pretty successful at it. But one of the things I didn't like so much was working alone most of the time. But I loved the idea of shaping something and, um, and you know, designing something and shaping it and seeing it through to the end. And when I um, went to journalism school, I wasn't really sure why I was doing it, but I I majored in English in college, uh-huh. so I, I was always a pretty good writer. And when I got out, I, was, I just loved going out. I had a job at a small newspaper in North Carolina, and I just loved going out and covering things, even if it was just a meeting. I, I liked talking to people. I liked coming back and on deadline, writing a story, and then... As I was in more and more got more and more experience, probably about ten years into journalism, <clears throat> I started thinking <clears throat> about ways that I could tell more essential truths mm-hmm. about life, you know, rather than just reporting. And and I did I did analytical pieces too. And I, in fact, I was working on an editorial, a volunteer. I'm a volunteer writer for an editorial service, and I um was just working on an editorial. So I've done, I had done deeper pieces, but it just felt to me like fiction offers the opportunity to actually, you know, I was talking about being in Lucille's shoes, uh, actually being inside somebody's world and being them for just a moment and seeing things the way they do. And I use the example of Demon Copperhead, Mm -hmm. Barbara Kingsolver's fine novel about the opioid crisis, which we all learned about in the newspapers. There was great reporting about it. We all know about it. But when you are in Demon's head, when you are going through what he's going through, you see it in a different way. And it really hits you hard. It changes you. It can change you. Yeah, that's 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 very perceptive. Well, now you threw something at me, so I'm going to ask you one more question. You were okay. a, you were a visual artist. I didn't realize that. How did that translate, um, and how did it help maybe as you started writing fiction? Well, um, you know, writing is you know, fiction is a little more magical than journalism. But even journalism, you know, you're writing good story. If you're writing a good story, 
Um, and if you're throwing a good pot, you know, it's the same kind of skill, even though one is uh, more tactile than the other, but it's the same kind of intuition. You're shaping a product, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and it's the same thing, you know, the process is the same. There's the, the, you know, the first draft phase, you know, the first element of the pot, and then there's the trimming, and then there's the, right. you know, maybe rearranging or maybe decorating or something. And so it really is the same to me. It's a craft. Yeah. Well, it struck me as when you said that just now that you were a visual artist, that you're, you're creating a picture, sort of, I guess that's a good way to say it, both with the writing and with the uh, pottery. Um, hmm. I wonder if, if that visualization helps you with your fiction writing. But we'll have, we'll have to leave it there. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I understand deadlines. <laughs> yes. You've been listening to the Writers' Forum, and I've been speaking with author Betty Joyce Nash about her new book, Everybody Here is Ken. It's a good one, folks. You need to pick it up. Betty, is there a website or other social media site that folks can go to in order to learn more about you and more about the book? Oh, yes. I have um, a website, BettyJoyceNash.com. Very simple to remember. And you could also go to Madville Publishing. Okay. Yes, the name of the publisher. Well, Betty, thanks so much for being on the show. You are so welcome. Thank you. It was an honor to to be on this wonderful show. You're very kind. Folks, the music for the show has been provided by Valerie Hunt Jester, and today's show was produced by our very own Del Agnew. Tune in on Tuesday at 4 p.m. to hear the next edition of the Writers' Forum or Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m.